0: Well, there are two broad definitions of fasting that we want to consider. Um, First is abstinence from anything that is legitimate in and of itself from some sort of spiritual purpose. So, for example, uh, you might have heard somebody fasting from um, TV or from video games or something like that. Something that... Is not inherently wrong, but, but would be helpful just to remove it from their lives for a, for a time. And so let's say over the next month I'm not going to watch any TV. And um, that's not a bad thing to do, but that's actually not what we're going to be covering today. We're going to be covering the narrower definition, which is what the Scriptures talk about when it talks about fasting. And that is fasting from food. It's voluntary abstinence from physical nourishment, food and drink, for special spiritual purposes. All right, so we want to look at several passages here. Um, and uh we we have a lot. So, can I have a volunteer to to read some of these? Paul Leviticus 16, the first two there on your sheet. Leviticus 16:21 and 29. And someone else, Jonathan, Leviticus 23 um you know what? Let's let's skip that one. Go right to Numbers twenty twenty nine seven. And then uh I see somebody back there. Trish, Zechariah eight, nineteen. Mark, second Samuel twelve, twenty two. Ken? Judges twenty twenty six. And that'll be enough for right now. Alright, so the first thing we want to consider is what fasting looked like in the Old Testament. First we need to see that. Fast, the, the Israel fasted on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, 21 and 29. all right so the 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 um topic of fasting is addressed there in Leviticus sixteen and then it says it shall be a lasting ordinance for you now obviously you need to keep in mind that this is speaking of the Jews, and we'll talk about what this means for us as as believers today, but what we need to see first is that Israel did fast on the day of atonement and then um numbers 29.7. uh numbers twenty nine seven Okay, so uh, this is the same thing that's talked about here. It's the Day of Atonement, and including included in that consecration, that Day of consecration was also fasting. And this also took place after the exile. Zechariah 8:19. Okay, so here's part of the the nature, or, or part of the way that Israel conducted themselves after they were uh, brought back from the exile, is that they they participated in these fasts, fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months. They would have regular regularly scheduled fasts. Sometimes individuals or the nation would fast in relation to specific circumstances. So, for example, 2 Samuel 12:22. Okay, so this is after David's sin and God struck his son with illness and David fasted during that time while he was still alive. But, not, but after he's dead, you know his, his servants tell him there's no need for me to fast anymore. So he, he stops his fast. Judges 20, 26. Okay, so here's Israel at a specific time in history, during the time of the Judges, when they recognized their sin and they used it as an opportunity corporately, David individually here corporately, for them to to fast. All right, can I have some more volunteers, or maybe more of the same? That's fine. Um, Paul, 2 Samuel 1:12. Jonathan, uh, Daniel 9:3 through 5. um Psalm 69.10, Mark, Ezra, 8.21, Mike, Acts 27.9. All right. So, at times, this fasting gave an expression to various heart attitudes. And this is what this last point is here, for grief, penitence, humility, and guidance. And keep these in mind as we consider what this means for us, because these will be some of the reasons that we'll want to fast as well, so um, let's consider how they did it though, in the old testament, second Samuel one twelve
1: they and wept
0: and okay, so after the death of saul and and Jonathan, two great warriors for Israel, two great leaders for israel they they wept in grief, daniel nine three through five
1: great and awesome God who keeps his covenant in loving kindness to those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed
0: iniquity, and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and Lord So there uh says, uh, Daniel says, I turned to God and pleaded to him in prayer and in fasting over his sin and over the sin of the people. So there's uh, uh, the penitence idea that as a person is sorrowful for their sin. They go to God, and one of the things that they do is they fast and and they pray. Humility, Psalm sixty nine ten. Okay, so um, it's it's not a proud thing to do to fast. Now, obviously, the the Pharisees we're going to see actually turned it into something that they used for um, to to bring attention to themselves, but. But in general, when it's done properly, it actually brings about scorn. It's it's um, looked down upon. Fasting was also used in the Old Testament to secure the guidance, or at least to seek the guidance of God. Ezra 8.21. Okay. So
1: here's,
0: um, some biblical support for us that we ought to be praying for people when they travel sometimes we can downplay that it 's not important but uh but uh but the point here that we want to make is that that it 's a humbling of ourselves before the lord and and seeking god 's god 's guidance god 's direction god 's uh protection all right so now we want to consider quickly what fasting in the New Testament looks like um and so we see that they continue. The Jews continue the fasting on the Day of Atonement. Acts twenty-seven nine. Okay, so here's Paul getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and and um, and it had become dangerous, but. But it was now the time of the fast, Luke records. And the Pharisees, you remember in Luke 18, they fasted twice a week. They gave a tenth of all they had, you remember, and so they made this an area of boasting. Anna the prophetess who prophesied over the infant Jesus at the temple also fasted. Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 fasted. When he was being tempted in the wilderness, he fasted for how many days and how many nights? Okay forty and forty all right, we're going to um, let, let's turn to Matthew six because here in Matthew we're going to find two passages that are going to be uh, helpful for us in thinking about fasting for us later, but we want to just see it right now that Jesus assumed that his disciples would fast, Matthew chapter six, verse sixteen. Notice the first three words. Whenever you fast. He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you do actually fast, here's how you are to do it. And he's going to, to show how to do it there. In um, there Further examples in the New Testament of believers fasting is that uh, the believers at the church before sending out Paul and Barnabas, um, they, they fasted before they made this choice. We need to decide whether or not we should send this person out. Are these two men out for the sake of the name? Um, Paul refers to his own fastings in second Corinthians chapter six. he said he, he he went without food he had sleepless nights and went without food and some of that perhaps was was fasting. He said he um, he learned how to be content in those sorts of situations so we have all these examples of fasting in the New Testament. And, um, and now we want to consider what are some of the characteristics of fasting. So to what degree ought we to fast or, or, or did people in the Bible fast? And then how, how many people were involved in it? How long did they fast? And then how frequently did they fast? All right. So first, the degree um, of abstinence, the, the degree of fasting. There are two types. We could break them down into a normal fast and a partial fast. A normal fast was obviously the avoidance of all food and drink and a partial fast was a limitation of some kind some part of of the food that you normally take in. So there's those two types that are mentioned in the scripture. The number of participants varies based on the the circumstances. It could be just one person, just a private fast to God. Um calling on God to to help or to to be penitent about sin. A small group fast in Acts 13. Or it could be even a whole congregation like in in Joel. So that goes back, obviously, to the Old Testament. The length of the fast, uh, the Bible doesn't give any commands on how long it should be. But in the Scriptures, we have people fasting for part of one day like in Judges, or one whole day, Jeremiah 36, or for three days, like in Esther 4 and Acts 9, or for seven days, 1 Samuel 31, or for 21 days, Daniel 10, and then, of course, you have Jesus fasting for 40 days. And, um, and, of course, the Bible mentions a lot more without calling calling attention to the the length of them specifically. So, the point is, there's no prescribed length of time that a person is to fast or a group of people are to fast. And then the frequency of the fast. um, When I say frequency, I'm saying on what schedule, um, what characterizes these fasts. So it could be a regular fast, like the Day of Atonement was every year. Uh, It didn't come up just because some circumstance came up. It was because it was scheduled to be there. Or it could be an occasional fast. Um, Most of the... The fastings in Scripture are this way. Or it could be a continual fast like you read about with John the Baptist in Matthew 3. Um, so the point is that the the types, the types, type of fast, the, the number of people that are involved, the length of the fast, uh, it, it all varies based on the situation. And there's no prescribed length of time or prescribed way that a fast ought to be done. All right. So now we want to get into the crux of what what we want to look at this morning and that is should Christians fast? And before we do that, do you have any questions or comments on the basics of fasting? Just a quick overview on fasting in the scriptures. Any questions? Comments? Okay. So we're all we're all clear on on what took place there. Now, before we get to this question, I think it would be helpful for us we're coming to, Going to come back to Matthew, but turn to First Timothy, First <coughs> Timothy four. Because I want you to see that there's nothing inherently wrong with food. Food is spoken of as a gift from God, and a person who refrains from uh, from eating um, is not necessarily spiritual. And so it really determines the heart behind why we're stopping, uh, why we're refraining from eating. So I want you to see that there's nothing inherently wrong with food. We should accept it with thanksgiving. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, As with a branding iron, men who, and then notice these, who forbid marriage and they advocate abstaining from food, which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So note here what Paul says about food. It's part of God's good creation, and it's not meant to be abstained from if it's received with thanksgiving. Paul wants to make it clear that the idea of asceticism, which is what you see a lot of the monks over the centuries doing, that if we can just get away from all of the the physical things of this world, you know, marriage and food and all those things. We can just kind of pull ourselves up in our own little communities, and we can be really spiritual. And what God is saying is through the Apostle Paul is no. If you accept these things, marriage, food, with thanksgiving, then it should it then recognize it as a as a gift from God. So when we think of Christian fasting, we shouldn't think of asceticism, pulling ourselves away from the world in order to reach a higher level of holiness. Um, In Colossians 2, Paul warns against this attitude, saying that it dishonors Christ by rejecting the sufficiency of His person and work. You know, since you died with Christ, the basic principles of this world, why are you living as though you belonged to them? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all the kind of the rules that have been set up. They, these are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, Paul says in uh, 2.23, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Isn't that uh, true of what you know about monks? You know, they, they try to, to avoid all of these things in order to... To get away from the sensuality of the world and yet they they tend to be some of the most corrupt people that there are one uh, theologian says this is a strong warning against any simplistic view of fasting that thinks it will automatically do a person spiritual good it's not that simple if we fast we're guaranteed that it will do us good um Severe treatment of the body may only feed a person's flesh with more self-reliance. That is, see how good I am at abstaining from food? And it actually turns into what Paul calls a false humility. It's actually pride. So Paul regards eating or not eating as a matter matter that is non-essential in itself, but which gains value as long as it is, is expressed in love and contentment to God Uh, So that's what we really need to consider. What's behind the fasting or not fasting? Are we doing it out of a love for God, or are we just doing it out of a, a service to ourselves? So in the Old Testament, it was commanded that the Jews would fast every day of atonement. But in the New Testament, you're not going to find that fasting is commanded for believers at all. However, turn back to Matthew chapter 6 what we need to consider is that fasting is assumed in the scriptures by Jesus Matthew 6 here's this passage we looked at before and uh we'll look at at the whole of what Jesus says here in Matthew 6 verse 16 whenever you fast there's the assumption you just assumes that the disciples are going to fast Do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so... He says, when you fast. And the reason that this is an assumption, because notice the two things that he assumed that they would do before. Look at verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward. And now he's going to give us three things that we need to guard ourselves against so that we don't, that we're not so concerned about earthly reward as much as we're concerned about heavenly reward. And here's the first one. When you give to the poor. Here's the assumption. You're going to give to the poor. So when you do it, don't do it to make a big show. Here's the second one, verse 5. When you pray. So when you do this, don't make a big show as if it's all about you. And he goes on from verses 5 and following, and then he even teaches the disciples how to pray there. And verse 9 and following. Then he comes to verse 16, here's the third one. Here's the third way in which they need to be beware of practicing their righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. And here it is. Here's the assumption that he expects, that they will fast. And when you fast, don't make it a big show. It's not about you. Um, so when Jesus talks about a fast, as far as how to do it, while we're here, we'll just look and see what he has to say. Verse 16 don't put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. Don't, don't make a big show like, oh, it's so, and waiting for somebody to ask you, what's going on? Why do why you, why you have that, that such a distraught look and, oh, I'm fasting. I've been fasting for the last three days. It's been the hardest three days of my life. You know, it's all about, you know, what people think about me rather than the actual fasting, the, the appealing to God. And it's the same sort of thing is true when we give and when we pray. You know, when we give, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. When we pray, don't don't make loud sounds and and groans like the Pharisees do. But um but be more like the the publican who just um bows his head and and um and beats his chest. Um so, don't look somber like you're suffering. And then secondly, Jesus says in verses 16 through 18, no one should be able to tell that you're fasting. The only fasting, the only person that should know that you're fasting is God. Notice verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men. And then the promise, when you do this, your Father will see you, and even though it's done in secret, He will ward you and I would say He would reward you publicly, and He's going to do that in heaven. So, fasting, we cannot say that it's a legalistic responsibility. We can't say that it's even a command in the New Testament. Those other two, giving and praying, would be specific commands, right? In the New Testament, we have other places where we're commanded to give, but nowhere are we commanded to fast. However, it seems that Jesus assumes that His disciples will fast. Turn to us. Uh, Matthew 9, because this is probably the most important passage on fasting in the Bible for Christians. Okay, for those who have been saved by grace this side of the cross, Matthew 9:14 through 17. Because we could take that passage in chapter 6 and say, well, that was just for the disciples; they were Jews. And so, yeah, I mean, Jesus is gonna say something like that. But here, let me let me show you this passage here, Matthew nine, fourteen through seventeen. I think this gives holds some weight for us. <clears throat> Verse fourteen reads Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a worse tear results. Nor do people put new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wineskins burst, and the wine pours out, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved all right so when jesus talks about a bridegroom here to whom is he referring who's the bridegroom no yeah himself it's jesus all right so he's saying right now talking to the pharisees right now the bridegroom is with them and so there's no need for them to fast but there's coming a time when the bridegroom is going to be taken away what could that be referring to? Right after his death and resurrection, Jesus is going to go, return to his Father, and during that time, the disciples will fast. That's the time to fast, Jesus is saying. Not when I'm here, when, I have, when my presence is with them. Here's what John Piper says about this. I, I think this is an excellent way to, to think about this passage. He says, it is true that Jesus has given the Holy Spirit in his absence. And that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So, you know when Jesus says in Matthew 28, Make disciples of all nations and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Well, we have that promise that Jesus is always with us. But no one would argue that Jesus is with us in the same way that He was with the disciples, right? He's with us in a different way. Instead, we have the Spirit of Jesus with us, and that is the Holy Spirit. So... In that sense, in a profound and wonderful sense, Jesus is still with us, just as He promised. Nevertheless, there is a greater degree of intimacy that we will enjoy with Christ in heaven when this age is over. So in another sense, Christ is not with us. He's not with us in the sense that He was with the disciples. He's not with us in the sense that we will enjoy His presence in the next age. So in that sense, he's not with us, but away from us. In other words, in this age, there is an ache inside every Christian that Jesus is not here as fully and intimately and, power, and as powerfully and as gloriously as we want him to be. We hunger for so much more, and this is why we fast. Because we don't have the, the perfect presence of Jesus with us as we once will. The idea of the new wine and the the, the, new, the new patch on the old garment. What's going to happen is that that, that patch is going to pull away as the old garment uh, stretches. And the same thing is true with the, the new wineskin. Uh, the point of it is that there's coming on... The, Jesus is talking, remember, to the Pharisees, and He's saying, listen, you, all of your old regulations and all of your old rules that you would force on to other people, it doesn't work with this new system that I brought in. Okay? So you need to recognize that those two things don't mesh, just like, uh, just like the, the new wine and the old wineskins. It doesn't work. He says, no, you, you need to recognize that there's a new system coming, and so the point is that I am here, the disciples are not required to fast while I'm here, but when I go away... I will expect them to fast. That's when they will fast. And so, here's the assumption that Jesus makes. He, he he assumes that the disciples, when He is away, will fast. And so, we also are Christ's disciples. Now, obviously, none of us, as far as I know, are from Jewish origin, but but we are His disciples. And we don't have the special presence of Christ like they had. We don't have the physical presence of Christ like they have. We instead have the Spirit. And so there is a greater way where we long for Him. And, and this is why we fast. Any questions on that? See how the fasting seems to be assumed in the Scriptures while the bridegroom is away. Yeah. Yeah. So what how's that how do you think that connects to the resurrection the the link between the death sure um, I'm not sure how to how to respond to that um, as far as Jesus fast because yeah there may have been a miraculous um, a miraculous work going on there Um, but I I I'm just guarded in saying that just because I don't want to take away from his humanity however all the other miracles that he performed um, you know we could say well that's supernatural that's not human And that wouldn't be taken away from his humanity. So I haven't thought about it in those terms, but. um, Moses did? did? You know, I was thinking there's another place where. Then I have another scripture reference. Oh, I, I didn't put any on there for you. Let me see. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah, Moses is the example that Paul's bringing up. Deuteronomy 9 9, when he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he said, I drank no water and ate no food. So, um, so the point is, I'm not calling you to take 40-day fast. Um, so Mark, Mark's being concerned about your your physical well-being, um, and not not to disminu- diminish what you're saying. I, um, but but the point here is that um, you know we're not calling for a, for a specific length of time at this point anyway. But when we see it in the scriptures, what we do see is that there's partial day, whole day, three day, 21 day, and 40-day fast, um, and that's just for pattern. You want to look at patterns in the scriptures, that's what it is. So, let's think about why we might fast. What's the purpose of it? What, what, could, we, what, what could we get from, from fasting? What could, how could God benefit from our fasting? All right, fasting should be done for a purpose. There are all sorts of worldly purposes to fast. Um, weight control. You know anybody who's gone on these kind of starvation type diets to, to lose some weight. Okay, maybe um, before your operation you have to go on a fast. Lots of us in here have had to do that, right? Maybe a fast for physical training or, you know, maybe because you're trying to save some money or some type of protest you might fast. Okay, but, but what we need to be clear about is if you're fasting for all any of those reasons, those are not Christian fasts. Okay, those are not what the Scriptures are talking about. When the doctor tells you don't eat for the next 8 hours or 12 hours or whatever it is, that doesn't provide for you any spiritual benefit. Okay? The biblical accounts of fasting make it clear that there are at least 10 reasons that we should fast. And none of these involve... Here's what you need to hear if you didn't hear anything else today. None of these reasons involve earning God's favor. That is, with regard to our standing before God... It doesn't affect whether God will accept us or not. We can't use fasting as a way to impress God. We're made acceptable through Christ alone, as we're going to sing later on this morning. It's through Christ alone that we are made acceptable. His death and His righteousness. Fasting does not provide for us any eternal benefit. It doesn't add to our salvation in any way. Um, The only thing that, that we can that that allows us to stand before God righteously is is Jesus Christ, okay, so having said that, here are some good reasons to fast number one fast to strengthen your prayer here's what Mark read earlier ezra eight twenty one they're at the um the river of Ahava or uh, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask for a safe journey. And then it says in verse 23 so we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and He answered our prayer. Okay, so fasting in the scriptures is not a spiritual hunger strike that compels God to do our bidding. Like, if I deny food, then you have to give me this. That's not the idea. Fasting doesn't change God's hearing. Rather, it changes our praying. It strengthens our prayer. So Christians who pray while fasting communicate that they are truly concerned about what is most important in life. Um, And that is not my food and my, my appetite. It is my love for God. You know, like Jesus would often say, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me. It's not physical food. Um, the disciples were concerned for him in that way, but he's most concerned about his, about doing God's will. Secondly, to seek God's guidance. We saw this in Judges 20, 26, and 27. All the Israelites went up and they were weeping. They fasted until evening. And they inquired of the Lord, verse 27 says. So, if you're looking for guidance in your life, if you have a significant decision that needs to be made, fasting is a good way for you to to call upon God. It 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 doesn't ensure that God's going to give you clear evidence. Don't expect that you know if you fast for a day that you you call on God during that time and then the next day you're going to see some sign. You're going to get the answer very clearly. It doesn't ensure that God's going to to be clear in that way, but it, what it will do is it will make you sensitive to him. It will help you to turn uh turn your your attention to God and away from the world so that you can listen to him more attentively the leaders of the church at antioch you remember in acts fasted before setting barnabas and saul or or paul out for their mission missionary work and um and so if you are seeking guidance on something if our church is seeking guidance on something it wouldn't be a bad idea just take some time to to fast and pray seek god's face number three fast to seek deliverance or protection we didn't look at Second Chronicles 20, but some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden. Eden. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Remember, this was what happened in Esther too. Remember, Esther said, tell all the people, all the Jews to fast and pray. And um, so fasting should be one of our first defenses against um, uh, persecution persecution we need deliverance from something, we're being persecuted by people at our, our school or, or work or family, then, then we need to call on God, seek God's deliverance, and fasting combined with prayer is a great way to do that. Number four, to express grief over sin. The Bible contains many examples of fasting to express grief over sin. Second Samuel 1 David and all his men tore their clothes after uh, Saul and Jonathan were killed. And um, so so when there's grief, it's not a bad time to, to fast. Here's what Don Whitney says in his book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines. He says, There have been a few occasions when I grieved so deeply over my sin that words alone seemed powerless to say to God what I wanted. And though it made me no more worthy of forgiveness, remember that main point we were making, that is, doesn't earn you favor before God doesn't earn me favor. Fasting, he says, communicated the grief and confession my words could not express. So, we never want to think that fasting somehow pays for our sins, but it's a way for us to, be, to show grief, genuine remorse and, and repentance over our sin. And actually, that leads us to the next one, which is to express repentance. Joel 2.12, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Number six, to humble yourself before God. King Ahab here tears his clothes and recognizes his sin, John Calvin said this, he said, since this is a holy exercise both for the humbling of men and for the confession of humility, why should we use it less than the ancients did in similar need? So, it's a time for us to humble ourselves. These kind of all uh, are connected with regard to our calling on God and, and being concerned for His will, His desire, His guidance. Concerned about our sin. Next, to express concern for God's work. This is what Daniel's fast was about. He turned to the Lord after he had heard the word that this desolation would last for 70 years. That's when he turned to the Lord even though he knew what the outcome was going to be. He still turned to the Lord and prayed to Him and fasted. Number eight, to minister to the needs of others. If we give up some meals by fasting, then we can use that time and money to minister to others. Alright, number nine. Fast to overcome temptation. It's good exercise in self-discipline. Refraining from eating food or drinking something can strengthen our ability to refrain from sin. If we can train ourselves, bodily exercise can profit us when we we are disciplining ourselves and it might be helpful or it might teach us something about how we can discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. I think that is the case. You know, you find a lazy Christian, you're going to find a lot of times just a lazy person in general. That lazy people don't tend to discipline themselves for spiritual things just like they don't la- uh, discipline themselves for physical things. So this can be a way for us to train ourselves to to overcome temptation better. Number ten, to express love and worship to God. To express love and worship to God. To fast means that you love God more than food. That you deny your hunger for food to pursue your hunger for God. It's seeking more of Him and recognizing that seeking Him is more important than eating. When you feel hunger pain, let it remind you that your stomach is not your God. And sometimes that's what these fasts from other things are are born out of. People want to fast for, from various things that go on in life to show that I'm not addicted to those things. Those are not my gods. Okay, My God is the true and living God, and I'm going to focus my attention on them. So why not do that with food and, and drink as well? So to summarize... Um, Fasting should have a spiritual purpose; should be God-centered, not self-centered. And just consider, you know, it, uh, when you consider to fast. When you determine that that's something that that you ought to do, then I would go to Matthew six and just see what, what way ought I to fast. If you're, you know, telling everybody that you're fasting, then you pretty much uh, destroyed the commandment that was given you there by Christ, which is to, to do it in secret. It's not; it's not about everybody knowing now. If you wanna ask other people to, to join with you in a fast, that's a different that's a different object, obviously. And we can come together and fast together uh for a specific purpose. But the point is not to be seen by other people, the point is to to um to call on God. Alright, so as far as the length I've uh heard of people doing it for just part of one day, like the morning, one morning a week. We're going to fast, and we're going to call on God for that morning. Um, so that, that may be a way to do it. Again, I'm not calling for, for us to, to do 40-day, 21-day fasts. Um, uh, just think carefully about your own health. Think about um, what's most important in life, and recognize that, that uh, a denial of ourselves from food for a short time it would not be a bad thing if we used it to to um, to call on God and to show our our um, concern for our own sin, or the concern for our nation, or the concern for our church, or for our family, or whatever the case, seeking His guidance. Here's a one author writes. With regard to the essence of Christian fasting, he says we ache and yearn and fast to know more and more of all that God is for us in Jesus, but only because He has already laid hold of us and is drawing us ever forward and upward into all the fullness of God. All right, some thoughts on fasting. Again, it's not commanded in Scripture, but it it appears to be assumed. Um, Probably on par with church membership. You're not going to find church membership Commanded in Scripture, but I think it, there's a very clear case for it that believers ought to be a part of a local church, um, and I, I think the case is is, um, is clear from our study this morning that that fasting is also assumed and ex- expected of us as believers. Any questions? All right. Well, we have something some, something to think about. I have something to think about. Um, I haven't actually studied fasting before studying this lesson for today and um it's a lot for me to think about and uh and I, I hope that you'll take some time uh this week to just consider when would be a good time for me to to just start out with maybe a half day fast or something. Um I think that would be a reasonable way to begin and start to see the spiritual benefits that we can receive from from doing that. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your example, how you gave up food for the sake of of um, consecrating yourself to God. Thankful for the example of the disciples and the believers at Antioch, and uh, certainly the Old Testament believers as well. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to think rightly about fasting and be able to think carefully about what that means for us specifically. May we be most concerned in this life, not with even what we would call the necessities of life, but, but a food and drink, but, but what really is the necessity, and that is you and your will. And so we pray that you would help us to exalt you and your desires over uh, the very things that we need to live and to breathe. And, but at the same time, not to see food as, as harmful or sinful but to accept it with graciousness and and gratitude. And we do praise You for providing for us and constantly meeting our needs. And we pray that You'd help us to respond by uh, a life of love and, and, uh, and righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.